You're listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. And I'm Molly Ruth, producer for the podcast. In season one of Superpower Curiosity, we're exploring how and why to get beyond divisiveness. This is a subject that fascinates Richard, and it's the subject of his recent book. It's a freaking mess. How to Thrive in Divisive Times. This episode is about how divisive emotions can save or ruin your life. Excerpted from It's a Frickin' Mess and read by Richard himself. Let's go! For most of us, divisiveness doesn't feel good at all. Why, then, do we get caught so easily in divisive emotions like indignation, exasperation, contempt, outrage, and other varieties of anger? Or mistrust, worry, foreboding, alarm, and other varieties of fear? And why are these feelings sometimes so hard to get out of? Sure, it's true that forces in society can tempt us into angry or fearful feelings. But what is it in us that responds? And when are anger and fear useful to us, and when are they not? When I was ten years old, I witnessed a scene I have never forgotten. I was living in Uganda, when my father was employed as researcher on mosquito-borne disease. Family friends had driven my sister and me to see a local pride of wild lions. We found the lions lazing in the warm African sunshine on an open patch of dry earth interspersed with tufts of grass. There was another vehicle there, a van with six people inside. A large male lion with a magnificent mane was lying in the foreground. Perhaps he was protecting the pride's private siesta from the strange metal-packaged intruders. But if so, he looked surprisingly relaxed. His eyes were three-quarters closed, and his head rested on his paws. It was quite a picture. Little did I know that this idyllic scene was about to change dramatically. The driver of the van, for reasons only he could know, opened his door which was facing the lions, and about 15 feet away from that powerful male. The reaction of the male lion was instant. From his recumbent posture, this 400-pound, muscle-ripped creature of the wild, armed with lethal teeth and 18 daggered claws, sprang 12 feet into the air with electrifying speed and a blood-curdling roar. I was open-mouthed in awe. I watched the dust of the African ground swirl in the air with the motion of the lion's leap. He landed on his four feet well before the man in the van managed to close his vehicle's door. Had the lion decided to leap forward in attack rather than straight up in the air, there is no doubt he could have reached and killed the man before the man could have closed his door. The van driver might have regretted his action, 
but I certainly didn't. I had been witness to a marvel of nature, the primordial might of raw animal power. Anger and fear as the great protectors. When I thought about this story years later, and remembered that this lion had leapt up vertically, it occurred to me that he could have made two other significant choices. The lion could have leapt backwards in fear and flight, or he could have leapt forward with aggression and fight, attacking the man in the van. Perhaps the lion's vertical leap was somewhere between these two twin pillars of biological alarm, anger or fear, fight or flight. Either way, it was a dramatic and effective display of force. Anger and fear have identical physiological pathways. They are two sides of the one coin, aversion. Corner a wild rat and it will quiver with fear, yet lunge with feral anger. Lions and human beings are much the same in that aversion can be expressed either in anger and attack or in fear and retreat. When we are in physical danger, our vital instincts for fight flight are immensely useful. If a woman is about to be attacked by a lion, for example, nerve impulses will instantaneously instruct her adrenal glands to secrete a surge of adrenaline, cortisone, and other hormones. These hormones and corresponding fight-flight nerve impulses can have amazingly beneficial effects in such emergency situations. The emergency hormones increase the speed of breathing and dilate the bronchioles so that oxygen can reach the lungs and be transferred to the bloodstream with maximum efficiency. They increase the speed of the heart and dilate the blood vessels that supply the muscles so that oxygen can be transferred via these blood vessels to the muscles, again with maximum efficiency. These first two functions increase the efficiency of the muscles so that the woman can run away faster or fight with more power. The hormones increase the emotions of fear and anger by energizing the more primitive parts of the brain. These primary emotions add passion and energy to the fight-flight response. At the same time, the prefrontal cortex, the seat of rational thought, is switched off. Why? because pondering the pros and cons of possible options is just not so useful when you're being charged by a lion. The hormones increase the speed of blood clotting from potential wounds. At the same time, the hormones block functions that would take up energy and are not, in the moment, absolutely necessary for survival. For example, they shut down the immune system Fighting a charging lion takes precedence over fighting a cold. The surge of hormonal release also reduces the blood supply to the guts and the flow of digestive juices. Hence that dry mouth and that queasy feeling that sometimes accompany a moment of fear. In essence, the body makes an instant and wise prioritization. Digestion is just not so important when running away from a lion. The priority is to avoid being digested. All of these effects, including the emotions of anger or fear, 
are beautifully geared for a short-term physical emergency in times of danger. Fear can protect you from going too near to the edge of a cliff or from driving too fast around a hairpin turn. Anger can lend you incredible strength and speed when you need to fight or escape from immediate physical danger. Anger can also be a useful signal that informs those attacking you that they had better back off. You can sometimes draw a useful boundary with anger. Anger and fear as liabilities. In many situations that do not require physical action, the emergency reactions of anger and fear are not helpful. And here's the problem. We still produce the same emergency anger-fear response, even when we just imagine danger. If you take your pulse, then vividly imagine a really scary scene in which you're in danger, and then take your pulse again, you'll probably find that your pulse rate has significantly increased. Your blood pressure, too, will have gone up. This is the adrenaline response without the lion. Our bodies do not differentiate between a real attack on our physical being and an imagined attack. When we otherize any person or group, we are creating an imagined enemy to whom we respond with adrenaline-fired anger or fear. Since there is, in most cases, no physical danger, there is no physical activity we can do to lessen the danger we have created in our minds. What's more, the imagined danger tends to be long-term, and this can cause us a lot of grief. When we think someone with different beliefs is the enemy and react emotionally to this enemy we have created, all the physiological effects of the adrenaline response, so useful in physical emergency, become dangerous long-term liabilities. Because the body is functioning on an emergency system, it becomes depleted, then exhausted when the emergency state carries on for hours, days, months, or even years. Our access to rational thought diminishes because neuronal activity has been shifted from the thinking cerebral cortex to the instant reaction primitive brain to prepare for the physical emergency that never arises. In the long term, this can cause loss of brain matter in the prefrontal cortex. Digestion is poor because blood has been diverted to the muscles for action that never occurs. The immune system is compromised because it is not a priority for the physical encounter that never happens. Blood clotting increases to protect the body from the potential wounds in the physical battle that never transpires. It's possible that this blocking of the immune system and increase in blood clotting contributes to the higher death rate of more hostile people. We can make ourselves ill or even kill ourselves slowly by engaging our innate physical protective devices in the long-term service of our mental beliefs. This is all the more alarming when you consider that most human hostility is created to fight alternative beliefs not lions. We also suffer mentally. If a challenge to one of our beliefs is experienced as a threat to us, we will do almost anything to get away from 
or destroy the perceived threat. And this is accompanied by an outpouring of unpleasant-to-experience emotion, such as fear, anger, disgust, disdain, hatred, and so on. Hardwired to be fearful or angry? Our reactions of worry or exasperation arrive so quickly that they appear automatic. It's as if we had no choice. We might well wonder, am I just hardwired to be like this? The fact that our bodies don't seem to know the difference between real danger and imagined danger is probably hardwired. If this is so, our ingrained biological hardwiring for fight or flight might, at first sight, appear to be an insurmountable human weakness, a biological liability that too easily tempts us into being trigger-happy, irascible, and irresponsible idiots. But this would only be true if we overlooked one crucial point. A biological tendency is not a biological imperative. We are also, and I think equally, hardwired with the capacity for great empathy, kindness, and compassion. In addition, each of us has inherited the awesome complexity of the cerebral cortex with its tens of billions of neurons, and this gives us unparalleled choices in response to any situation. The human brain is remarkably adaptable and teachable. Whatever we do several times will tend to become habitual, and we, as human beings, always have a choice in what we decide to do. In particular, knowing the fact that our bodies do not differentiate well between real and imagined danger, we have the power to change what we imagine. When we reimagine the old mental enemy as one of us, for example, this in itself can change the anger, fear, emotional reaction. I've said several times that the animal fight-flight anger-fear response is natural and often effective when the danger is physical. But even this is a matter of choice for us human beings. Thousands of martial arts practitioners have learned how to respond even to physical danger without anger or fear, and they found that they are actually more effective at dealing with the danger without the adrenaline response. We are truly creatures of stupendous free choice. Thanks so much for listening to Superpower Curiosity, with Dr. Richard Gillette. If you have a question or comment for Richard, you can send an email or voice memo to superpowercuriosity at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a review and or tell a friend about the podcast. Episode 5 is scheduled to come out in two weeks, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our next episode. A conversation Richard has with Dr. David Haddad, a psychologist, professor at William James College, and expert on bringing out the best in ourselves and others. Till next time, stay curious! Stay curious!